This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Thursday, August 8th, 2019. I'm Caleb Brown. The conversation about guns becomes familiar following mass shootings. The problem with many ideas so often repeated after these tragic events is that, as Cato's Trevor Burris points out, gun policy is hard. It is unfortunate that uh, when these kinds of events happen, that uh, everybody jumps immediately to their preferred policy uh, prescription. And so many of these just ignore a whole lot of complicating factors. Is that fair to say? Absolutely. It's uh, These tragic events happen, and the first thing we usually start talking about is the gun, which is unfortunate because that tends to take up most of the air in the room where, of course, we people will talk about video games and mental health and things like this. But the gun is not the primary cause of mass shootings, and that is quite clear. We, we, we can have reasonable debates about where on the margins gun control can be effective, but, mar, but mass shooters are not on the margins of crime. They are highly motivated criminals who live in a country with 300 million guns. And if you take every AR-15 and hit a magic button and they all disappear into a puff of smoke, you will not have stopped any mass shooting. Now, the question could be, have you lowered possibly the fatality count? Um, well, that depends on a few things. And one thing I don't like getting into on these subjects, but we kind of end up having to, is to talk about sort of the, the nitty gritty details of different guns that can be used to do this kind of mayhem. But suffice it to say that guns kill people, pistols kill people, rifles kill people, they all can kill people, and any one of them can be used to do a mass shooting. The real vexing question here is that you know, the first major mass shooting that people talk about is the Charles Whitman mass shooting in the University of Texas where he was in the tower. And that was in the mid-60s. At that time, before the Gun Control Act of 1968, you could order an AR-15 through the mail without any background checks or clearance whatsoever. Uh, and there weren't these type of mass shootings. So at a time when guns were Less less controlled than they are now in terms of regulations, there were far fewer mass shootings, and so we have to ask more what's happening to culture, to mental health, internet, things like this, for why this has become such an issue. But also remember that if we're not talking about the two biggest components of gun deaths in this country, and I'm saying gun deaths specifically, very very specifically, which I mean suicides and interpersonal gun violence. And those and those two components are the suicides of men between the ages of 25 and 64 and handgun violence committed in the inner city uh, against young black men mostly. If we're not talking about those things in terms of how we're going to attack the gun violence problem in America, then we're really not doing a serious discussions of how to lower this this body count. Yeah, it, uh, it always um, – it is unfortunate, but it is from a – position of privilege that a lot of people talk about these mass shootings as if these are the only substantial crimes that are occurring on a regular basis. Yes, precisely. And we do something. So, for example, in the Dayton shooting, I think it was, we were talking about how the shooter used what's called a pistol brace, which is a way of kind of putting a stock, a shoulder stock on a pistol. And the ATF has gone back and forth on what, what that is and whether or not that makes it a short scale rifle, which is illegal. But the unfortunate thing is that, you know, we so we might go and ban those next, like like we did with bump stocks after the Vegas shooting. But that's again, we we take the gun that the last shooter used and ban it or regulate it more heavily. It's not going to change his behavior. The shooter in that situation did not do the shooting because he had a pistol brace. And the so we could say, well, maybe he could shoot a few more rounds a little bit quicker. Well, 
maybe, maybe, uh, but this is again, it gets into these details that are a bit, a little bit unpleasant to discuss. A 15 round uh, handgun, standard sort of nine millimeter handgun, can fire just about as fast as a rifle. A little bit slower because of the recoil of the handgun, but just about as fast. And it's concealable. So there's these other problems with that too. But this is just the wrong way of approaching this problem. We focus on the mass shootings, and it's not that we shouldn't talk about them. And it's not that we shouldn't talk about how to mitigate them. And then we focus on whatever gun was last used, and we try and ban that, even though there might be millions out there. And with mass shootings, we should be talking about security more than going after the guns. That's That much is clear. Securing places, having armed guards in places, making sure the security is on hand. These overall would be more effective and less harmful to civil liberties than going after the guns. So uh, David D'Amato, uh, who writes for libertarianism.org, uh, makes a point that Whatever restrictions end up being passed as an attempt to crack down on weapons, that is increasing penalties for weapons charges, uh, increasing the range of weapons that are included in weapons charges, these will inevitably uh, redound to the the to punish more severely uh, low income and minority people. Oh, absolutely. For the exact same reasons that low-income and minority people get punished by a variety of laws more, whether it's they get caught up in those situations more often and the cops go after them uh, or they lack representation from attorneys in that situation. But yes, you what you will see – and this is important to realize. So. It is a it is a ten year felony to have a gun if you're if you're a felon to possess a gun, and so there's bunches of people who have guns who are doing mayhem with them who are already committing a ten year felony, and people aren't putting much effort. Meaning law enforcement, they don't put a ton of effort into sort of tracking these down. So we could add another penalty to it. We could we could say now it's a ten year felony to transfer a gun to someone without running a background check, which would be something like the universal background check provisions, and okay, we can make a bunch of felons out of that. But the actual sort of dent that's going to put into the gun violence problem is going to be very small, especially given how many different felonies already exist on the books. And then, of course, we'll have people who serve very, very long prison times for relatively minor crimes. I mean, just having a gun, for example. There's one story I remember where a guy who knew he was a felon, uh, who was a bartender at a bar, he walked, he went home and his uh, girlfriend held a gun to his head and he disarmed her. And then he walked two blocks back to the bar where he worked and there were cops there and he gave them the gun. He said, I can't have this. And they arrested him for having a gun in the two blocks that he walked because he was a felon. And he he was convicted. That's You can't really challenge that. That's a straight up crime. Uh, and that's the kind of stuff that happens when these people get caught. But at the end of the day, we're not going to be stopping shooters, mass shooters or, or other types of shooters. So what do you make then of the, the argument that advocates for gun control make that uh, at the very least, we should embrace a more rigorous uh, range of background checks for uh, these kinds of weapons? Well, it depends on what they – the devil's in the details. So you have one of these polls that say 90 percent of Americans support common sense and I'm putting that in scare quotes. They always, they always say common sense. Universal background checks. Well, what that would mean 
is if I decided to transfer my gun or, or let's say I lend my gun for a day to my friend so he could go shooting at the range and then come back to me, would that require a background check? Sometimes the laws are, are so literal and so strict that that would require that we both go to a federal firearms licensee, which is like a gun store, pay them 10 or $20 to run background checks on him. When I give it, when I lend him the gun or give him the gun, and then when he and sometimes it, if you read it literally, when he gives it back to me, he would have to run a background check on me, just for that day. And so some some states they tried to write the law so it doesn't have these absurd results, but mostly you're going to need to have a situation where that doesn't really exist in terms of criminal activity. So you have to have a bunch of people when you're transferring a gun between two people on uh, a private transaction, not at a gun store, you have to have these people wanting to comply with the law. You'd have to have someone submitting to a background check who knows they might fail it and still submit themselves to a background check and then still transfer the gun despite that to make all this sort of come together so we could actually prevent a gun being acquired. And again, that's not the majority of ways that people are acquiring guns in these straw purchases are coming up and then it's gun theft is very common. And there's just a ton of guns out there. I think the most important point here is that America has something like a saturation point with guns where when you, you know, put too much salt, when you try and dissolve too much salt into a liquid, it's saturated when you, when you can't take any more salt and it sort of sits on the bottom. That's where we are with guns. And let's say there's three to 400 million guns. Let's say we, you know, we could cut that in half. We would still be at a saturation point. Three to 400 million guns, let's say that every criminal if they want to get a gun, can get four guns probably. We cut the gun stock in half. That means that every criminal, if they want to get a gun, can now get two guns. Still have a problem with that. So we have to realistically look at the situation we're in now with the amount of guns, realistically look at the kind of laws that can be put in place, and most importantly, stop only focusing on guns. I know it sounds kind of weird because we're talking about guns right now, but there are a lot of reasons that people commit violence. And most of the time, it's not because they have a gun. It's because they're involved in criminal activity, perhaps related to the drug war. Um, it's because of bad policing policies and, and bad inner city policies in a variety of different ways. And so if we could talk about something other than guns, I've said it many times, and I've probably said it here to you before, Caleb, that ending the drug war would do more to lessen interpersonal gun violence than any gun law that I could possibly imagine being passed and being enforced. And those are the kind of things we have to talk about in order to mitigate this problem, as well as suicides and some mental health stuff if we're going to lower these numbers. Uh, the NRA is uh, – it's been bandied about this week that the NRA is in disarray, that uh, they're having a lot of internal internal strife and now is the time for people who advocate uh, more strict control of, of guns to, to act. Uh, what are the odds of getting the, the membership of the NRA on board with something like ending the drug war and say, look, this is your best shot to actually address the problem that these people want to address and uh, protect you from, oh, I don't know, a constitutional amendment? That's a good question. I don't I mean the NRA, yes, they're in disarray. They are a single issue organization, or they should be. They're not so much that anymore. And so they wouldn't usually talk about things like the drug war. I think that unfortunately, that violence that comes from the drug war is not strongly in the face of people who are voting gun rights and who are part of the NRA constituency. 
mass shootings in public places in suburbia, that is more in the face of people. And so I think that there's a possibility we could see some push to these to change some of these laws that would focus on mass shootings, maybe looking at a specific style of weapon, again, a quote unquote assault weapon. And occasionally, President Trump seems like he's willing to make that deal, maybe with some sort of deal to restrict immigration. And that means that you'd have a weird coalition come together, but make no mistakes about this with mass shooters, they are the hardest people to deter with gun, any gun legislation. I mean, I've said it before, but you know the other way of thinking about this is, so guns can cause crime. I mean, this is people who are gun rights advocates often say guns don't cause crime. They can cause crime in the following way. Someone who is too scared to commit a robbery or commit another types of mayhem with, say, their fists or a knife because they don't want to get up that close to their victims. But if you give them a gun, you give them the ability to project immense force over a distance and therefore they might then rob a 7-Eleven. The question is, is how many criminals are like that who are right on the edge, right on the margin of being criminals and they – but for having a gun, they wouldn't commit crime. Well, if you think about it in that way, the mass shooters in that situation are not sitting on the edge like our hypothetical would-be robber of 7-Eleven. They're not saying, well, I would commit a mass sh shooting but I just, if you give me a gun. They're way, way, way out off, off the margins. They're they're dedicated. They plan these things for months. They'll get what kind of guns they want to get to do the kind of damage they want to do. And so believing that gun control is going to affect this is really just not going to happen and is not going to be an effective way of going after this. But it, it's politically attractive, um, as, we've, we've, as you pointed out. Trevor Burris is a research fellow at the Cato Institute. He's currently knee-deep in editing Cato's Supreme Court Review, which will be released next month, September 17th, Constitution Day. Learn more at Cato.org.